Turn to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 will be the text for today, Genesis 1, 1. If you're there, say amen. And today we're going to begin a short series on stewardship, say stewardship, that I'm calling It's All His. Everyone say that. Now in this series, we won't be going through a specific book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, like we usually do, and this is more of a topical series. And in this series, we'll be studying from specific verses and, and passages as well. That being said, every so often, I will do a series on this subject, stewardship. And it's a great subject, and um, it's extremely important. Now, whenever we hear the word stewardship, say stewardship, the first thing that comes to mind is money, tithing, or giving. Now, that's not incorrect. It's just incomplete. And you see, the subject of stewardship is much broader than just money, tithing, and giving. It involves not just our treasures, not just our monies, but also our talents, our time, our temples, speaking of our bodies, and our testimony. Now, if we really are to understand what stewardship, stewardship excuse me, is, we need to discover what God tells us about it in His Word. The title of the message today is God Owns It All. Everyone say that. I want to share two points with you on today's message. If you're ready, say yes. Number one, here we go, is ownership. Write that down, say ownership. Because it all begins here, ownership. In Genesis 1, 1a, the first part of verse 1 of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God. Someone say God. Again, in the beginning, God. It all begins here. In the beginning, God. The Word of God begins with a simple but profound declaration of faith. In the beginning, nothing else existed but God. It was only God and nothing else. The word kurios, kurios is the Greek word translated Lord, which means master. It means possessor. It means supreme authority, king. I love this. It means owner. I love that. Owner. Kurios means owner. That being said, God's ownership is absolute. Say absolute. His, his ownership is absolute because he alone is sovereign. And he owns all, therefore, friends, he is above all, therefore, he controls all. Isaiah, write this down, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, I love this, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Why? Because he's God. He's God. And God with wisdom and love cares for and directs all things in the universe. Okay, it asserts that he is God in incomplete control, control of all things. And he has all authority. Say all authority. He has all rule because he is Lord. Deuteronomy 4, 35 says you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. The Lord is God. Love this. Besides him, there is no other. Let me put it this way. He's God and we're not. Got it? He's God and we're not. We got to acknowledge him as God, right? God. Absolute ownership. God. Fill in the blank. Here we go. God is, because of that, God is the creator of all things. Write that in. God is the creator of all 
things. And then we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1b, the second part of verse 1. It says, created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, God, say God, created, say created, the heavens and the earth. Everything else that comes to be comes as a result of the activity of God. God created out of nothing, ex nihilo, everything that is. Write this down, Hebrews 11.3. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Let's go back to the text. Back, back to the text. In the beginning, God, say God, created, say created, the heavens and the earth. The name used for God here in the text is from the Hebrew Elohim. Say Elohim, which is the name for God as creator, Elohim. He is the God of creation, right? Right? And the very fact that he is the creator of all that exists affirms that he and he alone is eternal and nothing existed until he declared it into existence. Now, now stay with me, okay? God, our creator, Elohim, say Elohim, who is eternal in his nature, has always been, get this now, three in one. Say three in one. Follow me. There is only one true God, right? But he is, listen now, but he eternally exists in three persons as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One in essence, one in character, yet three Persons united as one, we call this the Trinity. Say Trinity. So follow me. A lot of scriptures here this morning. Follow me now. Genesis 1, 26a, because I want to prove it to you, okay? Genesis 1, 26a. Then God said, let us, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Genesis 3, 22a. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil. Do you remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Remember that? Well, in Genesis 11, verses 4 and 7, the people said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a, a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. God said this in verse 7, okay, come, let us go, let us, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Are you getting it? Paul closes 2 Corinthians, write it down, 13, 14, by saying, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, say Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, say love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, say Holy Spirit, be with you all. Are you getting it? Lord Jesus Christ, God, right, the love of God, and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, 13, we're not done yet now. Ephesians 1, 13. And you are also included in Christ Say, Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised, here we go, Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's, say, God's possession to the praise of his glory. There you have Christ, Holy Spirit, and God's possessions. Are you getting it? Okay, there you have the triune Godhead, our God, the God of creation, is the one true God, listen now friends, who contains within himself 
all of divinity. He's divine. Say he's divine. And he has revealed himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God what? The Holy Spirit. Now, now why did I bring up the triune Godhead? Why did I bring up the Trinity? Why? To show you that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were involved in creation. Every one of them were involved in creation. Well, I'll prove it. I will. Here we go. Follow me now. In Genesis 1, chapter... Chapter 1, Genesis 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit, the what? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God, who? God said, let there be light, and there was light. There you have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and you have God, right? Let there be light. And there was light. So what I want you to do now is I want you to turn to Colossians, if you will, please. Colossians chapter 1, because we're going to park it there for a while. Colossians chapter 1, New Testament, verses 15 through 17. Again, Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It's right after Philippians. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. If you're there, say amen. You hear that noise? That's music to God's ears. Amen? I love it when I hear the noise of the pages of the Bible turning. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. We're going to stay here for a while now. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Now, I want to stop there, okay? And we need to understand what that means, okay? We need to know this. And you see, Paul, what he does here, he declares that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, the word image there means the exact likeness or the exact representation. The Phillips translation renders it like this. Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. If you got it, say got it. You see, Jesus, what he does, he enables us to see what God is like. Now follow me here. God is spirit, right? Come on, church. God is spirit, right? So he's invisible, right? But in the person of Jesus Christ, God made himself visible. Now write this down. John 1.14. The gospel of John, John 1.14. The word, who's the word? Come on, who's the word? Jesus, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now he tabernacled among us. Matthew 1.23, write it down. Matthew 1.23. I love this. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and he will be called and, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is a radiance of God's glory, get this now, and the exact representation of his being. John, a lot of scripture, John 14, 6 through 11. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said, right? And he goes on to say, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Well, Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time. 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Love that. Can you say, show us, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. John 1.1, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? Come on, who's the Word? Jesus, and the Word was with God. Get this now. And the Word, Jesus, was God. Got it? Okay, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 6a. Philippians 2, 5 through 6a. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God. Say God. Listen, Jesus Christ is God. He is God in the flesh. And you see, his nature never changes. Jesus, as to his essential nature, possesses the unchangeable nature of God. Isaiah 9, 6. Love this. For unto us a child is born, that's his humanity. And a son is given, his divinity. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, listen, Mighty God. God. Jesus Christ is the perfect likeness of God, okay? Okay, you got it? Okay, he's not similar to God. No, he is God. He's not just a representation, but a complete manifestation. He's God. So let's read on Colossians still, chapter 1. The firstborn over all creation. Did you get that? Now I want to stop there because Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults will use this verse to state their case that Jesus was created. And therefore, he could not be eternal or he cannot be God. Now, now the problem with that is they don't understand the meaning of the word firstborn in the text. In the Greek, the word firstborn there is prototokos. Prototokos, it means highest in ranking. It means highest in position. It, it's speaking about his preexistence and his uniqueness. In the text, it's speaking of Jesus' superiority over creation. Follow me. The term firstborn does not indicate that Jesus was a creation or created, okay? It has nothing to do with birth, but has everything to do with first in priority, first in honor, first in supremacy, first in sovereignty. If you got it, say got it. Okay, let's read on. Now, as we, as we read on, no, notice, it makes it very, very clear that Jesus was not created, rather the creator of creation. Verse 16 of Colossians 1. For by him, what, what, all, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, love that, and for him, Verse 17, he is before what? All things, and in him all things what? Hold together. We'll get back to that later on. Okay, John, let's go, write this down. John 1, back to the Gospel of John 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now notice this, okay, as I read it to you. Through him... All things, Jesus, all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. You see, from the very, very beginning, friends, the triune Godhead was involved in creation. If you got it, say got it. And we need to know this before we move on. The opening of our text, Genesis 1-1, tells me that the first thing God wants us to know about himself is that he is a creator. He wants you and I to know he's a creator of the heavens and the earth, okay? That he's the one who spoke life, life itself, into existence, that he and he alone is the creator. And you see, the Bible shows that the that observation of creation ought to lead people to acknowledge God as creator, friends, and this, this world and everything in it was created by himself, Elohim. Say Elohim. Revelation, write it down, 10, verses 5 through 6. Revelation 10, 5 through 6 says, Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand, and he swore by him, who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it. So, friends, from Genesis to Revelation, God is presented to us as Elohim, the God of creation. He is the creator of everything, right? Everything. Therefore, he owns everything. Everything belongs to him. I'll prove it. I will. Here we go. In Genesis 14, 22, Abraham called God most high possessor of heaven and earth. Leviticus 27, 30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs, belongs, to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy 10, 14. To the Lord your God, listen now, belong, belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. First Chronicles 29, 11, there David, as he prays, he says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything, say everything, in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Psalm 19, verse 1. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory. The what? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work. Love that of his hands. Psalm 24, 1. Psalm 24, 1. The earth, say the earth, is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 50, Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. I love this part. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Job 41, 11. Who has a claim against me that I must pay, says the Lord? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Job 1, 21. And said, listen now, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, 
and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And Haggai, Haggai chapter 2 verse 8. Love this. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Again, my point is, since God created all things, means he owns everything, right? It's all his. And regardless, friends, of what you think, he owns everything. He, his, his right of ownership, listen now, his right of ownership is absolute. It's a done deal. Now, if you're saved, say amen. We would all be much happier and joyful if we would embrace the truth that God owns it all. We would. Because he owns it all, he has all of the rights to what he owns. Anything and everything you and I have, listen now, belongs to him. Belongs to him. Now, because God created everything, right, did he? That means, fill in the blank, God created me. Let's make it personal. God created me. Say that. Prove it, Pastor, I will. Psalm 139, beautiful passage here, 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am, love this, fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. My wife and I and and the family were expecting a grandchild, Jaden Isaac Perez, perhaps in December or beginning of January, not sure, but this passage just becomes so real to me as I'm expecting my grandson to come to this earth, that God has formed his innermost being in his mother's womb. Amen? Psalm 100, verse 3. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah 44, 24. Isaiah 44, 24. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. Now, do you remember what we read in Colossians 1.16? Okay, we were just there, right? Colossians 1.16, I want to go back to that. You don't have to turn to that, but I want to go back to that. It says in verse 16 of Colossians 1, for by him all things were what? Created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. This is what he says. All things, say all things, were created by him and for him. Created what? By him and for him. So we were created by him and for him, right? Did you get that? So this tells me that we were created to have fellowship with God, with Jesus, right? 
We were made for him. Now, now follow me. This is why, follow me now, this is why we will never find true lasting satisfaction, contentment, and purpose outside of relationship with him. Are you with me? We were created by him and for him. Now, Colossians 1.17. I said we get back to that. Now we're back to that, okay? Love this portion of Scripture. Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him, love this, all things, what? Hold together. All things what? There is a, a protein molecule called laminin. And laminin is one of the multiplied thousands of protein molecules found in the human body. It's a unique molecule called a cell adhesion molecule. It has the assignment of of holding everything together in the human body so it doesn't fall apart. It seems that cells organize in the body into specific structures and that organization determines what protein they are and what they do. There are upwards of 60,000 of these in the body. The structure of the cell tells the cell what its job is in the body. And what its job is, it holds everything together. What's amazing is, put the picture up, Tommy, that it's shaped like a cross. That's in your body. That's in your body. Someone please say amen. Amen. It's the shape of a cross. The stuff that holds our body together is in the shape of a cross. If you're saved, say amen. It's the cross that holds our lives together. It's the cross that holds marriages together. It's the cross that holds families together. It's the cross that holds our churches together. It's the cross that holds us together when our world is falling apart. It's the cross. It's the cross. Say, God created me. Now, now let's make this personal. If I'm saved, if I'm saved... God not only, not only created me, but if I'm saved, God, then I can say, God, fill in the blank, God redeemed me. Write that down. God redeemed me. Now, now listen, friends. God would have been perfectly righteous if he had allowed all of mankind to go into eternal judgment. And he had the perfect right to do so. But God showed his love, his mercy, and his grace to mankind. Now now follow me here, okay? At the very scene of Adam's rebellion and curse, God gave a promise of the coming Redeemer identified in Genesis 3, 15 as the seed of the woman. Listen, the entire Old Testament is the record of God's merciful dealings with mankind in preparation for the coming Messiah, the coming Redeemer. The New Testament reveals that God has always had a righteous basis for forgiving sin. I want you to write this down. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. And Peter writes, For you know that... It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, say redeemed, 
from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but it was the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. Did you get that? But was revealed in these last times for your sake. Listen, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this world at the appointed time to die for the sins of the world. And it was his blood, say it was his blood on the cross that saved us, that redeemed us. Now the word redemption or the word redeem means to buy back. Say that, to buy back. So Jesus Christ had paid the price of sin and death so that we can be set free. Amen? So you and I can be set free. If you're saved, say amen. You have been bought with a price. Right? In fact, first, in fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, Paul writes, Do you not know that your bodies, your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Do you get that? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And we're going to talk about that in this series, okay? So the God who created us, listen now, has bought us with the greatest of all prices in the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross as our sin bearer. Okay? Therefore, we, get this now, we and all that we have belong to him forever. He has absolute divine ownership of and authority over our lives. My life and your life. Listen, I love this. We are redeemed for the Redeemer. We are redeemed for the Redeemer, which means we belong to Jesus. And because we belong to Jesus, we are obligated, say obligated, to devote ourselves wholeheartedly and unreservedly to Him. Now, if you're saved, come on, if you're saved, say amen. amen. Bottom line is this, since God has created us, you got to get this now, since God has created us and redeemed us, He has a double claim on our lives. Did you get that? Okay. We are doubly his. By creation and redemption, God has divine ownership over us. God is simply saying this. You're mine because I made you and doubly mine because I redeemed you. How awesome is that? You're doubly his. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm doubly his. Come on. Amen. Now, now say ownership. Number two is stewardship. Say that. Stewardship. Write that down. Stewardship. Now, now, unless we understand God's absolute ownership and see our relationship to him as owner, we cannot approach nor understand, friends, listen now, nor understand the subject of biblical stewardship. Let me put it this way. We won't appreciate the privilege and it is a privilege, and the principle, and it is a principle of stewardship until we acknowledge the person of ownership. The person who owns it all is who? God. 
And we have to come to grips with this first before we approach the subject of stewardship. If you got it, say got it. Now, now say stewardship. Okay, with more enthusiasm, say stewardship. Okay, and by the way, by the way, one-sixth of the Gospels and one-third of the parables address the subject of stewardship. So, so what is the meaning, or in other words, what is the definition of stewardship? Well, here's the definition of stewardship, okay? It's a practice of managing properly all, say all, that God has entrusted to me. Let's make it personal, okay? The practice of managing all, all that God has entrusted to me. If you got it, say, say got it. In other words, it's simply one who manages the possessions of another. And what stewardship does, stewardship defines a person's relationship to God, and it identifies God as owner and that person as manager. Now, I want you to write this down, okay? 1 Corinthians 4.2. If you're still with me, say amen. 1 Corinthians 4.2. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust, say trust, must prove faithful. I'm going to read that again, okay? Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. The King James renders it like this. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The Amplified Bible renders it like this. Proving himself or herself worthy of trust. The word trust here encompasses all the resources, abilities, and opportunities given to us by God and that we manage those, listen now, resources and abilities and opportunities in a way that is spiritually wise and spiritually profitable. Can I get an amen? In Genesis 2.15, back to Genesis 2.15, it says that God put Adam in the Garden of Eden To work, say work, and to take care of it, say take care of it. In other words, Adam was a steward, a trustee, an agent, a a manager of the garden. Now, who owned the garden? Come on, who owned the garden? God, right? God owned the garden, right? But God entrusted Adam to manage it. If you're getting it, say I'm getting it. That being said, got to get this. Though God owns you, And all that you possess, he defers the management to you. Should be a loud praise right there. Amen? I'm going to say it again, okay? Though God owns you and all you possess, he defers the management to you. You are a steward. You are, listen now, a trustee, an agent. You are a manager. Follow me, okay? The total of all your possessions and yourself is the inventory of your trust account, which is to be administered by you as the trustee of the beneficiary, which is who? God himself. John Wesley put it this way. When the possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in this world, he placed you here not as a proprietor, but a steward. A steward. Listen, because God owns everything, we need to relinquish our claims to everything to him, realizing that we are just stewards. Okay? We don't own anything. It's the recognition that God owns everything and we own nothing. 
Let me put it this way. The things you think you own are on loan. Some of you didn't get that. The things that you think you own are on loan. God's just been gracious enough, listen now, to lend it to you. Gracious enough to let you manage it. And you see, since God is the possessor of everything, then as Christians, friends, we can never, never rightfully speak of owning anything. Are you with me? That being said, question, have you recognized, acknowledged his ownership? Have you, have, you, have you recognized and acknowledged, get this now, his rightful claim to every aspect, every area, every corner, and every crevice of your life? Think about that. Have you done that? Ken Hemphill wrote this and said, many of us struggle with this issue of ownership, don't we? From the very first time we understand what mine means, we want to cling to and claim ownership. Take, for example, two children who are playing together with a toy that someone has given to one of them. The children did nothing to deserve the toy. They didn't deserve it, and they didn't pay for it. Yet as soon as one of the children attempts to play along with the toy, what happens? The so-called owner of the toy snatches it back and screams, Mine! And somehow, all of us have the mistaken notion that we are owners. That being said, the house you're renting or the house you bought, the house you live in, not yours. It's not yours. The car you drive, not yours. The money you have in your pockets, the money you have in the bank, not yours. Your business ain't your business. It's God's business. It's his. Your iPhone, not yours. Are you with me? Okay. Your children, your children, not yours. Your spouse, not yours. Your ministry, not yours. Your talents and your gifts, not yours. Your time, not yours. Your body, not yours. It's all his. Are you with me? Not yours. The truth is, you're not an owner. You are simply a steward. God is owner of all that exists. And so you need, and you and I, we need to get, listen now, out of the business of ownership and get into the business of stewardship. So I have a practical suggestion that will help you acknowledge this. So the next time you sit down during your devotion time, take out a piece of paper and make up a deed signing everything over to God, the rightful owner of all that you have. And as you sit there and sign it over to him, say, Lord, this has never been mine. Everything on this paper has never been mine. I'm excited to acknowledge that I am a steward and that you, Lord, are owner of all the possessions represented on this deed. Sign it over to him. It's not yours anyways. If you're saved, say amen. One day, say one day, each one of us will be called to give an account for how we have managed what God has given to us. And just like the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, 
we will all give an account to the rightful owner as to how well we managed the things he has entrusted to us. And hopefully, hopefully on that day, we will hear from Jesus the commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. So in light of what we learned today, three things. Wait, we're almost done here. Three things. First thing is this. Acknowledge God's ownership. Say that. Acknowledge God's ownership. We got to come to grips with that. We must acknowledge God's ownership. He owns it all. Acknowledge it. And once you acknowledge God's ownership, guess what? Admit, I own nothing. I own absolutely nothing. It's all his. Amen? Every single thing we have is his. So I acknowledge his ownership. I admit I own nothing. And guess what? When I acknowledge his ownership, admit I own nothing, then I can appreciate that God defers the management to me. That's a praise. Right? He didn't have to. But God, this is now, defers the management to me. And though God owns me, right, he does. And though God owns all that I possess, and he does, he defers the management to me. How awesome is that? So acknowledge his ownership. Admit that you and I, we own nothing. And appreciate that God defers the management to me. Don't go say it's my car. It ain't your car. It's his. It's my house. It ain't your house. It's his. Those are my kids. It ain't your kids. It's his. It's my money. It ain't your money. It's his. He's given you the privilege to manage that. And hopefully you and I will be good stewards that on that day, on that day, we'll hear the commendation from the mouth of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's all stand.